Good morning. Here we are another Sunday and we're not together again at our building. It's a temporary delay and with cases spiking right now in our county and counties surrounding us and even the state of Florida, uh, we knew that it was a possibility that this would happen. And we are thrilled to hear that uh, a lot of our folks who have COVID now are starting to do better. They still are very fatigued. They're still having some of the symptoms, but it seems that many of them have, have turned the corner and that's, that is just a wonderful thing. And we want you to continue to pray for each and every one of those um, as we just continue to deal with 2020 and everything that it, it hands out to us. But this morning, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. So I encourage you to take your Bible and go there. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about a book that was written by Matthew Sleeth. It's called Reforesting Faith. And in that book, he has a picture of the human lung. And the picture is as taken by what's known as a bronchogram. And you can see by this picture, it's basically an inverted tree. He goes on to talk about the function of the lungs. And he says they create these cell structures that are meant to capture as much CO2, that's carbon dioxide, to inhale and then absorb it into the tissue mixed with blood so that it can reoxygenate. And so it's the same function of a tree. A tree takes carbon dioxide that's in the air and it turns it into oxygen. Humans are like trees. We go now to Genesis chapter 2 and I want to read a, a few passages here. Genesis chapter 2 and we'll start in verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go down to verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The author is setting a scene for us, as really he's been doing since the very first, um, the very first page of the Bible, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where in the first three days of creation, a space is created, and then the corresponding days um, are being filled by it. So day one is going to be filled by what happens on day four and day two with day five. So we get to day three and what it says in Genesis 1 and verses um, 11 and 12 is that God created these fruit trees that are able to generate fruit and continue to produce more trees. The corresponding day is day six and God creates humans and we find similar descriptions that we too are like a seed-bearing tree that continues to produce more fruit and more trees. In our podcast this week, The Bible Pill, that's P-E-E-L, by the way, 
Peyton and I talked about the significance of how Genesis 1 through 3 begins this, this divine pattern, if you will, that goes all the way to the very last page of Revelation. And I'm not going to take you through the whole thing, but what it's showing is that humans are like trees. We're meant to meditate on trees. You can go to thebiblepill.com and you can listen to it for yourself, but that's kind of what the point is. So suddenly we come to our text here in Genesis chapter 2 that we just read, and the narrator, he focuses our attention on these two trees in the middle of the garden. The first tree, of course, is the tree of life. It is another gift from the Creator. God wants to give humanity a, uh, uh, the gift of life, eternal life, something that goes beyond the life that was breathed into man by God when he formed him from the ground. This one is eternal. And what's interesting as you continue to go through this text is that eternal life is received by faith, by trusting God. Should sound familiar to us. Well, the life tree is symbolic of one's nearness to the divine life and abundance of God. It is the hot spot, as Mackey refers to it, the hot spot of God's presence. It's, it's a lot like the temple. Think of the temple. And, you know, it's all a sacred space. But there in the Ark of the Covenant, there above it on the mercy seat, that is the real hot spot. That is the throne of God. Uh, as, as he was at that particular moment in time. So eating of this fruit, it gives us the idea of ingesting God's life. Think about what we have just done in partaking of the bread and the cup of Christ. We are symbolically ingesting God in that we have communion with God, that he lives in us. The creator's first command to the human is, is eat, enjoy life. All of the trees, all of them that were there, they were to enjoy and to partake of with the exception of just one. That is the tree of good and bad knowledge. It's a counterpart to the life tree. God gave humans a freedom, gave us freedoms, and also gave limitations. But the freedoms totally outweigh the limitations. Here, he's sitting in this massive garden with all of these varieties of trees. And he says, just one, just one. It's beautiful to look at, but don't ingest it. Don't eat it. The author sets the good and bad tree of knowledge next to the life tree. In other words, to eat from one, you would have been next to the other. So a choice has to be made. Eating of that tree, eating of the tree of life, that is, was not dependent upon if they ate of the tree of 
of good and bad. They could have gone straight to the tree of life and eaten of it. It was a gift. But to eat of the bad, the good and bad knowledge tree, you forfeit the fruit of the life tree. Death would result. And they're warned here that there is one tree, and it's a tree that will bring forth death. Now, you may have noticed that I've used the phrase good and bad rather than good and evil. English Standard Version, what I read out of most often, and I read a moment ago, says good and evil. But evil in our English concept is of a moral evil. And the Hebrew concept is really, it's not like that. It's um, actually Peyton really dealt with this in, in our, po our podcast this week. It's not only... Um, nor is it the only time that good and bad is used. When you see these phrases, most of the time it is a reference to children who are morally immature or who just are inexperienced in life. I think a good example is when Solomon becomes king after David dies. And God comes to Solomon and he says to him in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse Five, ask for what I should give you. And Solomon goes on and he compares himself to a small child. And that he's now, as a small child, has taken this position as king. And so he says to God, so that you should give your servant a listening mind to decide cases for your people, to discern between good and bad. Because who can exercise authority for this substantial people of yours. Adam and Eve needed to learn, just as all children need to learn. The trees represent the choice of our learning. Are we going to take it on ourselves and what we believe is good and bad, or will we trust God to give us wisdom, to distinguish between that which is good and bad, and for God to teach us in his timing in other words, this becomes something that is a, a process. He wants them to trust in his wisdom to grow. The good and bad knowledge tree represents those who seek to be wise in their own eyes. Proverbs 3 and verse 7 speaks of that warning of those who want to be wise in their own eyes and said, instead, we should fear God. That is, we should reverence him. We should, we should be in awe of God. All of us have the ability to be wise. The question is how we choose to become wise or what is our standard by which we will become wise. The book of James begins by telling believers that they should persevere through these, these very difficult, many different, different kinds of of trials that they're facing. And what's interesting, he says that even though these things are hard, he says it's going to bring about spiritual maturity, kind of what we're talking about here. But then in chapter one, in verse five and six, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him but let him ask, notice this, let him ask in faith. In other words, trust God 
without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And to make sure we kind of get this Genesis connection, and who would have thought James is giving us a Genesis connection here? He goes on in verse 17, and he says, Every good gift, who gives good gifts? Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, which whom is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Who is it that brought us forth by his words? And God said that we should be, get this, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The creator knows what is good for humans. It was set up in the very first page of the Bible. After each day of God's creative act, what did he say? He says, it was, and God saw that it was good. And guess how many times he says, God says that something is good in the six days of creation? Seven times. And the seventh, he said it was very good. Now we're back to last week and the importance of seven and completeness and perfection that we find. Immediately after telling Adam not to eat of the tree of good and bad, God demonstrates to them once again, or to Adam once again, that he knows what is good for his creation and even what is not good. In fact, we go back to our text and we go down to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. There's that word again. Not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now let's see what he thinks about what God sees as good. Then man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He celebrates in this poetic fashion to show that God not only knows what's not good, but then he brings forth that which is good. And he's saying, trust me for what is good. We like to blame Adam and Eve for everything bad in our world. And we often do, don't we? We say, well, this all goes back to the fall of humanity. And, and we say, you know, all the, the evil and the pain and the struggles and pandemics and everything else. But really, that's not the purpose of the Genesis narrative here. What the author's trying to do is for us to see ourselves before these two trees of choice and to decide if we're going to trust God 
to give us wisdom over time and continue to learn and to grow or if we're going to take it for ourselves. For us to see our own choices of life and death, of trust or determining our own path. Psalm 1, you know I love Psalms, and Psalm 1 is an introduction to the whole collection of the Psalms. And it begins by comparing a godly person as a tree that is planted beside the waters, that yields fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. It has eternal life in it. They delight in Yahweh's instruction. They meditate on God's wisdom day and night. But the wicked or the faithless people, he says they fly caution to the wind, so to speak. But those who delight in the instruction of God, they burst forth with life and produce fruit that never fades away. But those who choose to walk in the counsel of the faithless, he says they will perish. It's Eden language. The Bible wants you to meditate on trees so that you may become like one. Every good thing is matched with an equal or greater opportunities to ruin it by taking our own knowledge of good and bad. And it represents the choice. We may wonder why God would put these tests before us because we see tests in a negative way. But tests are not meant to make us failures. The intent is, is not to, um, f- for us to prove our worth. Some people believe that's what we're doing and is showing that we're worthy of God and we're worthy of our salvation. But that's not it either. The true purpose of a test is to know the places we need to learn. We need to continue to grow. Our tests in life are not meant to set us up as failures. So we are to examine ourselves and the way we make decisions and where those decisions, where do they come out of? The world around us will be glad to tell us what is good and bad. You see it all the time. They'll even tell you the easiest path for you to take. But is it the wisdom of God? Is our wisdom is our decision-making based upon a worldly view or is it on a kingdom of God view? You may stand before two trees tomorrow when you go into your business and you've got to determine in a certain moment whether you're going to be honest or whether you are going to lie. One choice may bring you more money, may actually bring you trouble down the line, but the other It guarantees a nearness to God. Or you may uh, be married and you've got to make some choices about advances that are coming to you as a married person. And you're going to choose whether or not you're going to be committed to your, your covenant that you made with God or if you will partake of the tree, which is 
good for the eyes, but will bring much pain. And we're going to make poor decisions. We just are. Peyton's going to talk about this next week. But even after we make those decisions, we continue to stand before trees and how we're going to handle those decisions. For example, an unplanned pregnancy. Those have become literal choices of life and death. Will we see the child in our womb as God sees them, as one who has been made in the image of God and that is loved? Or will they be seen as a non-human blob where it makes it easier for us to make a choice for death because we no longer call it a baby. We just simply call it a fetus. Those are choices. And even how we follow God, we have to make some choices. The scribes and Pharisees, they allowed the tiniest details of the law to overshadow the very heart of the law, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Will we choose a nationalistic religion? Or will we choose the kingdom of God? Choices. These choices we find every day in our homes, in our community, in our jobs, at our schools, at our ball fields, and yes, even our churches. We all stand before the trees and we can take the easy route and seek wisdom of our own or we can trust God, that God is going to share with us and continue to help us to grow. And it is a process that takes over many times, but we just trust God. And especially in those times that we just, it doesn't make sense. So what tree will you, will you choose? What standard do you use to make your decisions in life? One leads to life. The other one leads to death. But know this. God wants us to have life. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness and the ways that you continue to shower upon us, even in a fallen world. All the goodness, all the life. And Father, we need your life right now in our lives because of the death that surrounds us. And Father, we just pray that, that your hand and your, your ways will continue to be before us. Father, help us to make right decisions. Help those that may be right now, they're on the cusp of trying to make some major decision in their life. Help them to seek you. Seek your wisdom for all it's worth. And Father, I pray for those who Right now, they're living based upon poor choices they've made in life. 
And Father, I just pray that they'll know how much you love them and how you still want to give them life, not death. Father, we pray for those in our church who are struggling right now, whether it's from the coronavirus or whether they're mentally struggling, whether they're going through other some kind of other something in their life and we just we pray for each and every one of them we pray for our whole world as as there's just suffering everywhere we go but father we just pray that we will go forth from this day and that we will bring forth your life tree to all and father we just thank you in the name of your son jesus christ amen